0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. Finally, it's playoff time in the NBA. The games get serious. We're going to break down the Western Conference with Mark Medina, NBA beat writer for the Golden State Warriors, working for the uh, Bay Area News Group and the uh, San Jose Mercury News. But before we get to that first, just a reminder, please subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a comment. Go on to applepodcastscom slash PBT on NBC. That's PBT as in pro basketball talk on NBC. Subscribe, comments, let us know what you think, what you want to hear more of, and we will get to work on that. But I think what you want to hear right now is a breakdown of the Western Conference and a discussion about, well, just how vulnerable are these Golden State Warriors? And like I said, breaking it all down for us, Mark Medina. The uh, I don't know what is the official title. You are the god of basketball writing for the San Jose Mercury News and Bay Area News Group. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not. I'm not sure what title they go with for you now. I
0: think on my business card they call it the Warriors beat writer for the uh, Bay Area News Group Mercury News. But I'll I'll take what you
1: said there. Okay, okay. I, it, it was a little complimentary, but you, you deserve it. You do great work up there covering this team, and I'll tell you. You know, I do a fair amount of radio, and I do some stuff for NBC Sports Radio affiliates around the nation. And I don't care if I'm talking to San Antonio or you know, something in the Bay Area, or if I'm talking to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. The question comes up every time: like, How vulnerable are these Warriors? Are they really that good, Mark? Are they vulnerable?
0: Yes, they definitely are. And the thing is that's challenging when evaluating this team is how much is it due to the fact that there were injuries late in the season and there was complacency versus, you know, things that are much deeply rooted now. I think the Warriors are going to turn things around. I don't think it's going to be something where they lose to the Spurs, but I think when you look at some of the issues this overall season when it comes to their defensive play and their level of turnovers and how they react to officials, their high amount of foul calls, what's very interesting is those issues were pervasive enough that a lot of times talent alone wasn't able to overcome it. And usually on championship teams... Even if they have some some of that kind of sloppy play, it doesn't really matter because they have so much star power and experience. But to close out the season, um, they lost 10 of their final 17, and obviously you have to equate the fact that Steph was out of the lineup for a lot of that time, but for most of that stretch, they had three healthy All-Stars, which, you know, when you look at the production from Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green, they all played well, but frankly it wasn't enough to make up for the fact that the Warriors weren't playing well as a team. And so I think that's where it shows that the Warriors are vulnerable. But, you know, at the same time, this is the playoffs. They were kind of coasting along to close out the season because they knew they were going to have the number two seed regardless of whether they won or lost. So I think it's going to be interesting to see, and we'll find answers basically on Saturday, game one, of you know how much of it was them being bored and the playoffs haven't started versus... Hey some of these issues are pretty problematic.
1: I, I think that there is a sense that they could just flip the switch on some of the defensive focus stuff that, that 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 was part of it, right? That one of the big issues was they just they were bored with the regular season. And and that's not frankly that's not uncommon for the LeBron, you know, LeBron James's teams have gone through this in Miami and now Cleveland a little bit, although this year was a little different in Cleveland, but those teams get, you know, look, there's highs that come with the playoffs and intensity that come with the playoffs and you know what that rush is like and you can't really keep it up for 82 games and you kind of, like you said, you can coast through and win on talent and I think there was a lot of that from this team but I'm always a little leery of teams that think they can quickly just flip the switch and suddenly they'll be back to playing at an elite level. You've got to build habits and I don't, you know, Kerr talked about that during the year. I'm not sure if he's convinced they built a lot of good habits.
0: No, they didn't and I think... The thing that was interesting to close out the season is that obviously things became more difficult with Steph Curry being out of the lineup, and to a lesser extent, Patrick McCall. So they had a very thin backcourt. I mean, there were times where, I mean, Quinn Cook took advantage of his opportunity, but there were times where it was only him, Nick Young, and Klay Thompson as the available guards in the backcourt, because sometimes Sean Livingston was Resting for minor injuries or just to preserve so you you literally only had one playmaker and then you had guys like Kevin Durant and Draymond Green handling the ball and they're very well suited for that but in a weird twisted way the Warriors were anticipating because Steph was going to be out of the lineup for a while that that would suddenly create kind of that sense of urgency that we were talking about was lacking with Just not even just the All Stars level of play. That was never an issue. They were producing, but the fact that hey, they don't really have a margin for error. They can't really dump the ball off to Steph, and he can shoot thirty-five footers to to bail them out of a poor start to the game. Um, But you didn't really see that. It, It was very interesting when you really break down the Warriors. Their individual play was all good. Like if you look at the box scores, you know the All Stars, Quinn Cook, some of the role players they all look fine on paper but they weren't playing well defensively and it it really kind of illustrated that the these individual contributions aren't going to mean much if they don't you know play with that kind of effort that's going to be needed in the playoffs
1: how much are they getting out of livingston and iguodala both of whom had battled some injuries down the stretch and and were kind of rested and didn't seem a hundred they they like were two of the key role guys who just didn't seem to be themselves the last month of the season but again how much of that How much of that is their ability to turn this on when they're ready, or are they just physically not right?
0: No, I think they're physically right. The thing that's interesting with Andre Iguodala is he was going through his regular season malaise uh, before the All-Star break, but after the All-Star break, you saw him kind of build a rhythm and and think, hey, this is the Andre Iguodala that uh, is ready for the playoffs. This is the Andre Iguodala that convinced the Warriors that he is worth the three-year Forty-eight million dollar contract this last off season, but then he wound up getting hurt. And the end game with the Warriors, specifically with Andre and Livingston, also David West, who's been durable. But anytime any of those guys have had any minor injuries, they immediately sit them down. They've Steve Kerr have design has designated rest days for them. You know, maybe it's one of the second night of a back to backs, or at some point, hey, you need to just sit down, just because. We have some time in the schedule. So I think Andre Iguodala, he missed the seven of the last eight games, but I think it was all injury prevention and this, make sure he's entirely fresh for the playoffs. I think he's going to be good. He started building a rhythm. I think the question mark a little bit is with Sean Livingston. He um, dealt with a little bit more injuries. He's been, he's been solid, but I think because of the fact that they frankly do not have a lot of guards in this backcourt. Quinn Cook is the only one available. He's going to be asked to do have a, a bigger responsibility than what he's accustomed to. So on one hand, the Warriors have nothing to worry about with him because he's experienced and he never makes any bad decisions. He's never going to lose a game for you. But because they don't have Patrick McCall and Steph Curry, he's going to be asked to do a lot more. And frankly, I don't know... If he's capable of doing that, um, so that'll be the interesting thing moving forward.
1: What's the timeline on McCaw? For people who forgot, he, he fell pretty nastily on his back um, and, and has a, a back bruise. Basically, um, what's the timeline on his return, or is there one?
0: Yeah, so there's not necessarily a timeline. Um, he's going to be reevaluated in three weeks, uh, but that doesn't mean he's coming back in three weeks. This is this is basically hey, how's your progress? What's your level of pain? What can you start doing in terms of rehab? He hasn't been doing anything. He's been staying at home. I know some of his close ones with his parents and his girlfriend have been around with him, but uh, he took a pretty severe fall. And I think when you're talking, not even talking Mm -hmm. basketball, but just life in general, uh, the Warriors were very concerned that this is something that could have been a lot worse because he took the fall. It was the The pain was a bone bruise near his spinal area and he was immobile for a while when he was on the floor and the paramedics had to come and, and take him on a stretcher so under that context the Warriors were very relieved that it only took a few hours for him um, to become responsive and he passed all these medical exams in terms of his MRI and his CAT scan but it's going to take some time for him to come back. Uh, Steph Curry obviously uh, because of his skill level that's kind of the number one question and he's going to be reevaluated on Saturday but that again is the under the same guys it's not of hey is he going to start playing soon Steve Kurz basically ruled him out for the first round of the playoffs so I think on Saturday what you're going to hear is okay what is the next step for Steph Curry and his rehab and right now Steph's walked me through it a little bit. He's made it clear there's no step-backs or anything like that, but it's still a process of getting the swelling down. It's also a process of what he can actually do. He's only been on the elliptical bike for a little bit. He's been doing some light running, some stretching exercises. He went with the uh, Warriors on their latest two-game trip uh, this past week to Phoenix and Utah to get some more rehab in, and he was able to get up some shots during shoot-around, but uh, I don't don't know how significant it is other than, hey, he's making progress, but it's very small baby steps.
1: Cool, because I think ultimately they can get through this first round without Steph Curry fine, and probably even the second round, Um, but obviously when you go up against Houston, not only do you need Curry, you need a really fully functioning Curry against a very good Rockets team.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing that's, That's the unknown that leaves the Warriors vulnerable. Um, When you talk to the Warriors and outside medical experts, the nature of a grade grade 2 MCL sprain, um, it's encouraging news for Steph Curry because the way I understand it is once you heal the injury, it's completely healed. There's no lingering effects. It all has to do with how cautious the Warriors and Steph are with his rehab in terms of making sure they're not rushing him making sure that he's able to cut without feeling any pain. But the Warriors aren't rushing him back. So that's the encouraging thing. But you just don't know how long it takes for him to get in a rhythm. The encouraging thing is it's Steph Curry. So even if it's 70%, Steph's still a really good player. He has shown in past years and this year, when he comes back from an injury, he doesn't miss a beat. We all know when he had that grade 2 MCL spring Uh, In 2016, he came back against Portland and lit it up. When he was out for 11 games this season in December, when he first sprained his right ankle, he had 38 points against Memphis the first night he came back. But I think there's an uncertain feeling of, can he avoid getting hurt again? And I don't know if that really has anything to do with anything medically. He's had a string of weird circumstances where he's been in the wrong place at the wrong time, where... He's either stepped on someone's foot and uh, aggravated the pain in his ankle again, or he's made an awkward landing, or he's been kind of vulnerable from someone knocking into him. Like Jafel McGee went up for a block and fell into him, and that's how the knee injury happened. So some of those things, it's sports, it's unavoidable, things happen, but you wonder you know, is Steph kind of navigating landmines on the court? And can he do anything preventable to, to minimize the chance of that happening again?
1: I think the other question heading into the playoffs with the Warriors is, is the center position, which look, Mm -hmm. they released Omri Caspi rather than let go of one of their 47 centers. Uh, (laughs) They, they, you know, because they have, I think it's 48 by my count. Okay. So somewhere (laughs) in that, there's a bunch of them. It's somewhere in that ballpark. They, um, I mean, is it going to be just by committee and by matchup? Because I mean, you've got Pachulia, who's kind of more ground-based but solid, uh, can step out a little bit. You've got Javale McGee, who brings athleticism but can't step out. Um, You've got Looney. Like, there's a. It looks to me like he's going to kind of go matchup by matchup and see what works and doesn't work and kind of live with that. And and probably, obviously, I think we'll finally start to see a lot more of Draymond back at the five too.
0: Yeah, this really reminds. I think this cuts two ways, and it's good and bad. One, Steve Kerr is doing this because he wants to be a coach that adapts to matchups, and he knows that sometimes teams can go big or small. And the good thing about the Warriors is they have the personnel to change on their circumstances. They have adapted to the modern NBA, where the five position isn't that plotting post guy right Right. you need to be able to extend have some kind of jump shot be able to defend on the perimeter but they also have those plotting post guys that still can still account for some of those big men in the league but on the other hand i think this reminds me of that uh that classic quarterback position in the nfl or in college football where you don't have a definitive starter you switch starters off and on and when you When you have two quarterbacks, you essentially have zero, right? Yeah. Uh, Because it means that none of them are talented enough to assume that. And so I think that's what it is. You look at the center spot with this team. You have Zaza Pachulia. You have JaVale McGee. You have Jordan Bell. You have Kavon Looney. Draymond Green can play at the five. But there's so many different deficiencies where Draymond is very capable of playing the five, but he's asked to do so many things at the four already. Zaza has the size, but he's very slow, and uh, it's not like he has a jump shot. JaVale McGee is athletic, but his decision-making can sometimes be erratic. Uh, Jordan Bell, same thing, but more because of he's, he's a rookie. And then you have Kevon Looney, who is that fundamentally sound player who doesn't make bad decisions, but he's just a solid player in general. He's not going to wow you by any stretch, but... I think because of all those things, if I had to guess, and this is going to be all subject to change because of how fluid this position is, but I think coming in, I would guess that Zaza starts because of his experience, because of the fact that the Spurs are one of the very few teams that have size with LaMarcus Aldridge and Pau Gasol, and then I think you're going to see a lot of Kavon Looney, because he is a guy who, when you look at his first three years in the league, he's grown or first two years in the league, he's grown leaps and bounds. He was not able to, to stay injury-free. He had a lot of issues with his hips. He needed surgery. He was uh, His conditioning was a little bit of an issue. But this year, he came in, lost about 30 pounds. He was in peak shape. He was running up and down the floor. He's been able to stay healthy. And I think the most important thing is he really knows team personnel. He really knows team defensive rotations. And I think when you've seen the growth and sputtering of rookie forward Jordan bell and kind of the up and down play of JaVale McGee, uh, Kayvon Looney's dependability and consistency has, I think made Steve Kerr a lot more comfortable with choosing him as opposed to some of those other guys. And so I think when you're looking at it's the Spurs, even though they don't have the same kind of talent and depth that they used to have over that 20 year run, um, they still have Greg Popovich and they still have size. And I think because of that, you're going to see a good dose of Zaza and Lunia uh, kind of main in that position.
1: I, I think first off We have to re- recognize That he, on this podcast And in my life He is referred to As Long Beach Poly's Own Jordan Bell
0: Oh there you go
1: I gotta get I the Long Beach for- I forgot yeah.
0: I forgot <laughs> That I was talking To Lo- another Long Beach Great Long exactly. Beach Poly <laughs> Great
1: oh, I didn't go to Long Beach Poly But but I I, oh, okay. I, I, I did cover I, them For years I I,
0: I I gotta apologize A Long Beach Great It's it's yeah. what You Then Snoop Dogg And then Jordan Bell And, and
1: Tony Gwynn We'll throw him in yes, he, he was there pretty you. good At stuff Um <laughs> Yeah, and then and then then we can throw Cameron Diaz in, you know, somewhere. She's fine. Um, no, actually, <laughs> distant fifth. <laughs> <laughs> distant fifth. Um, so now now that we're way off topic, and and I'm not going to tell. Oh, I'm not going to tell Long Beach Poly stories. Although I was on the sideline for the legendary game against uh, um, Concord De La Sal. So it that was a fun one to be at, and I was the least pop famous person on that sideline. It was insane. Um, pretty much the end, I, thought had, the I thought
0: they have like memorial plaques and yeah, jerseys there's, there's, and
1: there's I mean every rap star you can name from that era was pretty much on the sidelines for that game it was insane um, anyway on to, on to other stuff back to the uh, you were talking about the matchup with with San Antonio in some ways I feel like and we talked this a little bit just kind of an IM I think this might be the team that was best for them because look I don't want to diminish how good San Antonio is. They are disciplined. Lamarcus Aldridge is on my all NBA team. They are defensively really good. I think people are sleep on how good DeJounte Murray as a defensive point guard is. And, you know, they'll be able to put him on, uh, and without Curry there, they can put him on Klay Thompson and give Klay some trouble. Um, they're smart, they're not going to beat themselves, but they're just not athletic. And I think that that's the advantage Golden State has. And this is the series that allows them to get their feet under them and get that rhythm back. Because they have the athleticism advantage, they can win this thing and while finding their rhythm, as opposed to some other teams that would challenge them differently.
0: I completely agree, Kurt. And what's interesting, and this, so the Warriors aren't ever going to admit this because of just the amount of, respect that they have for the Spurs and for Greg Popovich, but I think this is the first time, basically, in 20 years that a playoff team doesn't feel threatened by the Spurs. Like, you know, even though it's not like the Spurs won a championship every season, but they were a team you never wanted to play in the playoffs because they knew what it took to win, and assuming all their core guys were healthy, they had a shot at making a run. And here, my sense, and I've heard from guys directly that they felt that of all the possible first-round matchups, this would have been the most ideal because they don't have Ka- they're not expected to have Kawhi Leonard now. Maybe, maybe there's some like grand pronouncement that comes out of nowhere that hey, Kawhi Leonard's great and he's ready to go and they're just preserving him for when it counts. But I think because of how that has progressed, there's that expectation he's not going to be available. And so I think assuming that happens, frankly, the Spurs just don't have the depth. Not only to match up with the Warriors, which is always a hard task, but really to match up with a lot of teams. And so what I think, I think the the indicators when you look at these regular season matchups, I think the last two, you have to kind of take for a grain of salt. Of The Warriors won the third game. It was narrow margins, but that's, that's because Steph Curry suddenly got hurt and he didn't play for most of the game. And then the last game, the Spurs won, but... The Warriors literally didn't have any of their All Stars. Like they entered the game without Steph, Durant, and Clay, and then Draymond got hurt late in the second or late in the first half. He took a, a really painful shot in the uh, the region, the
1: private region,
0: <laughs> he was out for the rest of the game. So they literally didn't have any All Stars, and they weren't really playing that hard to begin with because of the complacency. So I think when you look at the two regular season matchups to start off, what you saw was this. The Spurs got out to double-digit leads because the Warriors weren't necessarily trying hard, and then they came back and basically ran them over. And it, and it really illustrated the Warriors have a lot of talent, and the Spurs, frankly, just don't have a lot of depth, and particularly in the fourth quarter, which is usually a time that the Spurs were able to prevail in crunch time because of all that you know, corporate knowledge uh, that Pop likes to talk about. They weren't playing. You know, Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker were on the bench. Uh, You know, Pop was leaning on his younger guys for development purposes. Now, I think in the playoffs, you know, guys like Manu and Tony are going to have bigger roles for obvious reasons. But I think it it really illustrates that I don't really know how much that's going to make a difference. Like, their experience is going to help, but. They're so up in age, and it, their role on the team is so much different because they don't have the same personnel around them that, uh, frankly, they just, they're just they just not going to have enough. But th- with that being said, the Warriors can't treat this as a cakewalk. That The Spurs will still make it challenging, and I think the worst-case scenario will obviously be that some, somehow the Spurs upset them in the first round, but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's realistic. But it still wouldn't be a good thing if this goes six, seven games and this requires the Warriors to suddenly exhaust all their energy and focus because you never know how much will this be a cumulative effect in the future playoff series where the margin for error is going to be a lot slimmer. And I'm basically looking ahead to that Houston series in the West Finals where they have to be locked in on all cylinders and Steph Curry has to be basically 100% to make sure that, you know, Houston doesn't wind up winning this one.
1: Yeah, I I think that, I mean, looking, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here, but looking ahead to, I mean, the Warriors and the Rockets are the two best teams in the NBA, not just the two best teams in the West. I think they're head and shoulders above where Toronto and Cleveland are out East and and anybody else in the West. That is a, a de facto, to me, NBA Finals. But I think Houston is a team that has a legitimate chance to beat even a healthy Golden State team. Um I know Golden State's more I know they're versatile. I've we've seen them do it. We've seen them defend. We've seen what them do what they had to do to win. And we haven't seen that out of Houston. So I mean there's Houston's going to get new tests, but they have all the pieces. Their defense switch, they're switching on defense all season. The the way they've lined themselves up. That's a really good team assuming they they'll get Emba Mute back from the, the um, I love that he sprained his shoulder on a dunk. Like that's still That's not exactly how you expect Mute to get hurt but there we are um with the with the throwdown dunk. So I think that that's a fascinating matchup when we get there but they've kind of got to get there first and I I I guess the question leading up to can they you know how the how the Warriors get there is it kind of comes down to this is now got to become Kevin Durant's team for a round, right? I mean, he's yeah. really got to take charge.
0: Oh, for sure. And the thing, you look at this two ways. Like, Kevin Durant is a good NBA player. He, his resume speaks for itself. I remember he was asked when Steph Curry was ruled out with this MCL sprint if he watched film of how he played when Steph was out uh, in 11, 11 games in December. And, and Kevin couldn't help but laugh because he, he didn't pull the Do You Know Who I Am card. But he was like, hey, like, no disrespect, but I kind of know how to play, right? Like, I've done this a lot of times. So his production speaks for itself. He's been lighting it up regardless of who's on the floor, whether it's Steph, is playing with him, without him. When you look at his numbers, he's basically mirrored his career averages. He's been very efficient. There's no question he's going to continue to do that. But I think on the other hand, what's interesting is, It's not even just a production standpoint. How will he be as a leader? And I think you've seen a really interesting thing evolve this season where on one hand, he's really melded a lot of good qualities where he's gotten his numbers, but with exception for a few games, it's not a lot of high-volume shooting. He's been very efficient. He made a cognizant effort of getting guys involved, both with his shot attempts, but also the fact that he had a playmaking role because uh, he handles the ball at times. And also, he's kind of offered a blend of constructive criticism to guys uh, because he's a, an intelligent player and a very skilled player, but he's not a demonstrative. He makes it very clear that he wants it to be a collaborative effort, um, and he wants it to be a two-way street, and he wants to be held accountable. But on the other hand, Kevin Durant's even admitted this. He said this in a GQ article before the season started, where he said, I'm not the face of the franchise. I'm not a leader. Like, he doesn't see himself as that guy. And actually, it's a question I'm, I'm hoping to ask him before the series starts. But you wonder how all those elements go into play. Because when Steph was out for 11 games, the Warriors went 9-2. and They were fine. Durant got his numbers up. They locked in defensively. Kevin was a huge part of that defensive effort, but again, when Steph was out to close out this season, the defense slipped a lot, and Kevin hasn't really gotten back to that level defensively that we saw earlier in the season, where he was blocking a lot of shots. He and I think Rudy Gobert were basically trading numbers back and forth. They were first and second in the league in blocks, and he was getting a lot of praise from the Warriors and people around the organ or outside the organization around the league, saying that hey he has the makings of winning the Defensive Player of the Year award. And there hasn't been a lot of talk of that recently, rightfully so. So I'm wondering, like, how well can he meld all those kind of different ingredients together? The scoring and the production is not going to be an issue. But I think the, the biggest example that best illustrates that is there were two games in Portland where Kevin Durant got 40 points and another game he got 50 points and the Warriors still lost. And that sounds absurd because you would think if a guy like Durant is getting numbers like that, which is even for his standards above and beyond, the Warriors should be able to win. But this really kind of, I think, circles back to what I was saying earlier at the beginning of the podcast that some of their other issues were so serious enough that Durant carrying them didn't make the difference. So when the playoffs start, I'm wondering how all those things kind of come together.
1: I think it's gonna be interesting. How worried are they about just how good Houston is?
0: I think they're worried. Uh, I don't think they would say that they're I don't
1: think worried is the wrong ask word? Them,
0: Yeah, I, I don't think they would say they're worried. They would say that they have a lot of respect for them and they take them seriously. And it might be semantics, like they don't wanna be seen as hey, we we feel insecure about themselves, but they don't they don't necessarily think, oh yeah it's a foregone conclusion, we'll win. I think that they did take exception a little bit to Clint Capella saying, you know, we think we can, we being the Rockets, think we can beat the Warriors. Like, they were kind of dismissive of that. Um, And they understood it. Like, they were in their shoes before when they were kind of the darling of the NBA and the rising team, and they felt they had the confidence to, to knock down other teams a peg or two. But I think the Warriors feel that in a seven-game series, uh, even without home court advantage, as long as they're healthy, they can win. And I think that that attitude basically explains why they didn't really care about getting the number one seed. If it was such a thing that they were worried about Houston, they would have, I think, exhausted more effort and more of their resources in terms of how Steve Kerr handled his starters' minutes of chasing that number one seed. But I think when they were weighing all the things that are going to be a factor in defending their championship, uh, they basically have the same thought process that many people around the league do is that if there is going to be a scenario that the Warriors lose the title, it's because some of their star, star guys or a handful of them aren't fully healthy. And so I think they, they like their chances there. They, they're embracing, they're bracing for a competitive series that could go six, seven games, but they feel like as long as Steph, you know, and, their other All Star guys are healthy; that they'll win it.
1: Let's move on. To I want to kind of brush. It with, by the way, you could be starting these uh, finals off in Toronto. Toronto ended up with the better record. If the Raptors, if the Raptors are able to beat the Cavaliers, which I'm not convinced. I'm not picking against LeBron James in the East. I'm not stupid, um, but. If if I mean that Toronto team, you'd have to actually start on the road, but I don't think they're too worried about that one either. Yeah, um,
0: I got my passport ready. I I, I became used to this because I went to China uh, to yeah know, start off the preseason. So kind of it could bring me full circle where I go to a foreign country to open the season and technically a foreign country to close it, right?
1: Exactly. <laughs> uh, let's run through some of those other playoff matchups, though, just to kind of get through it. I mean. Minnesota gets in in the dramatic play-in game, overtime play-in game against um, against the Nuggets. It would have been crushing, I think, for Minnesota's just kind of ego not to have made it, to, to, have, to have had this streak and had been looked like a solid playoff team for a long time and then almost to stumble out of it just because the West is so deep. Would have been a big blow to them. They get in. Um, the playoffs are a learning experience, Mark, and I think the, uh, the, the Timberwolves are about to learn some hard lessons.
0: Yes, they are, and I think to your point of this, this would have been devastating without a doubt, because I, I remember something, going back to this China trip, because the Timberwolves were the other team that went to, uh, to Shenzhen and Shanghai with the Warriors, and I think there's a lot of thought that the Timberwolves are this rising, young, up-and-coming team, but maybe maybe it's asking too much for them to make the playoffs. Like, almost like the Lakers this year, where, hey, it's it's about the continued development yeah. to put them in the position for the next year of, hey, maybe getting some free agents, i.e. LeBron James, Paul George, and, and build it for next season as far as them getting the postseason. And Tom Thibodeau wasn't having it. He was saying, you know, he was saying something along the lines of, um, if you get caught up in saying it's a process and it's just about development... Sooner or later, you're just going to continue to be in that uh, mode of you're always developing players and you're not competing. So that would have been very frustrating. And I know because obviously he has a say in the front office. Um, if they were to miss the playoffs, you wonder what kind of changes may he have explored in the offseason and what level of patience would he have of keeping all those young guys. Now, obviously that changes with the playoffs, but to go against the Rockets as, as the eighth seed, I could see them getting a game, yeah, but probably nothing more than that. And that's nothing against Minnesota. I really like how they play. And a lot of their issues later on this season had to do with Jimmy Butler's injury. Um, but I just don't think that they're going to have enough. Like there's that clear, there's that clear separation of, they're probably more of a young up and coming team as opposed to a competitive playoff team, even if they are in the playoffs. But I don't, I I frankly don't see them making much noise in this first-round series.
1: No, I mean, look, the the learning curve, yeah, Jimmy Butler's not young. Obviously, you know, the Jabal Crawfords and Taj Gibsons and stuff aren't young players, but it's their first time as a team going there. It's Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins first time in the playoffs, and it's just you've kind of got to go through some stuff usually and learn how to win a little bit. The Warriors had to do that with losses to the Spurs in the playoffs and stuff to kind of figure out who they were and where they wanted to go before they could get to, to being who they are, and so... I think that's part of it, and especially though, like if they'd been able to, you know, like you said, Jimmy Butler doesn't get hurt. They were the four seed when he kind of went down. If they'd stayed in that four, five, six range, then maybe I'd be picking them to potentially win around. But they—they're not going to beat Houston. They're—they maybe going They don't defend consistently enough. They don't defend well enough. And when you have a weakness it just gets exposed in the playoffs. You just teams hammer whatever your weakness is. Whatever they perceive as your weakness. If it's if it's LeBron James, them trying to isolate LeBron James on Steph Curry or or Kyrie Irving on Steph Curry defensively, they're going to do it over and over and over again until you prove you can do it. I'm not sure the Minnesota's ready to defend at that level yet. And by the way, James no, Harden's pretty good. And
0: it's asking a lot to defend at a level when it's Houston, right? Yeah, like exactly. They're a league-leading offense. They get up a lot of threes, and they know how to force a lot of turnovers. It's it's an interesting dichotomy because, you know, Tom Thibodeau is known as that defensive guru, um, and he's definitely incorporated some of that philosophy. But the Rockets, you know, with Mike D'Antoni, that old tired criticism of, hey, he's a coach that doesn't care about defense. But they have a lot of good defenders on that team, uh, with Luke Bamute and PJ Tucker and Chris Paul, and that's. They're still defined by their offense and their three-point shooting, but they force a lot of turnovers. That just basically becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of this is a team that's gonna get so many open buckets in transition, whether it's layups, three-pointers, or you know they get a trip to the foul line. And I think it's just a too tough of a, of a task for any team to handle, let alone an eighth-seed Timberwolves team that's still in the. Uh, Development stages, relatively speaking, because you know it's not like they're a lottery team, but it's still a process.
1: Exactly. And by the way, those Rockets are a top ten defensive team this year, and they they planned this. I mean, I think that when Daryl Morey wins Executive of the Year, it's not just that he landed Chris Paul, by the way, who can defend. It it was getting PJ Tucker and Imba Mute, you know, and getting guys in there, and then to D'Antoni's credit, like you said, he brought in a defensive specialist assistant, but they decided to switch everything all season long, because if you play the Warriors, you kind of have to be able to switch everything. And they're like, we're going to learn how to do this, and we're going to get smooth at it, because that's the system we need to learn how to play. And there we are. You know, I think that they're, again, we discussed it earlier. I'm not going to get into it, but I think that they're, if there's any team positioned to really actually beat the Warriors this year, it's, it's the Rockets, and their defense is part of that. So Minnesota's going to learn some hard lessons, and... The other two series in the West are actually pretty interesting, Mark. I mean, Portland at, at New or- and New Orleans, I mean, Portland's got to be the favorite here because of that backcourt, but that's an interesting series.
0: It definitely is. I would give Portland the edge for obvious reasons with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum um, because of just how productive they always are, but in a weird way, the Pelicans, I, I don't want to say the Pelicans are better without DeMarcus Cousins because he still is a really good player, but I think everyone was anticipating that once we knew he was going to be out for the season, that the Pelicans playoff chances might be doomed. And it hasn't been the case at all. And obviously they have a guy named Anthony Davis. Who's always going to put up a lot of numbers. That mirror acquisition has been amazing for them. But also I think through holidays production, yeah. when you look at it from a number standpoint, it's increased ever since DeMarcus has been hurt. And I don't want to say that's because of DeMarcus, but it's, It just might be the fact that it's the the next man up mentality. Now, I think in a playoff series, having a Marcus would just, you know, be cumbersome of, you know, you have to deal with so much size and kind of going back to what I was saying with the Warriors Spurs matchup. Like that was one of those few teams where you have to worry about size. Well, New Orleans is probably the other exception where in a weird way, all the teams that have rightfully adapted to the modern NBA with, you know, putting more of a premium on guard play and, and versatile forwards that can play multiple positions. All of a sudden you're left vulnerable when you're playing a team like new Orleans. And I know kind of looking at the warriors, uh, I think they would have beaten new Orleans, but they would have had a tough time matching up with that front court because frankly, you know, the center by committee approach, they don't have that same level of talent that can match up with them. So, it'll still give portland fits but when you're when you're having a lethal backcourt that can hit threes on a dime and get to the basket anytime they want like ultimately that's going to prevail
1: yeah with cousins out i think it start what they started doing on offense just played a little more to drew holiday's strengths and they've got to find a way to incorporate that back in next year when when they bring this whole thing back together with cousins because they will re-sign cousins um and and get him playing, but I think the other interesting thing in this series is Drew Holiday is like an all defensive team level player. He is phenomenal as a, one of the better defensive point guards in the league. He can make Lillard work. Lillard's going to get his, but you can make Lillard work, and I think that that's going to mean McCullum and some of the other guys are, who might have good nights for um, um, Portland need to step up, and that their depth will eventually wear wear New Orleans down. Obviously, Anthony Davis will get his. But I think you're going to have to have guys other than just Lillard step up. And I think McCollum could have a really huge series for them just because they can actually make life difficult for Lillard as much as as much as anybody's going to.
0: For sure. And I think one of the key things that Portland's done, and I know the Warriors have talked about this, um, is that it's obvious the roles primarily fall onto McCollum and Lillard, but where defenses fall into traps is when neither of those guys have the ball. Like Their antennas go up when the backcourt has the ball, but then a lot of times defenses tend to relax when they don't, but that's when they're most lethal because when you look at CJ and Damian, they're amazing at moving off the ball and amazing at catch and shoot, so it's not like they need the ball in their hands that long to wind up getting in an open basket and to shoot it. And so that, I think, really illustrates what you were saying with, you know, Portland needs to have another part of the supporting cast, but it also illustrates the the tough assignment of defending them. Because a lot of, I think a lot of teams get wrapped up in the individual matchups and making sure they don't lose their man, but as soon as they don't have the ball, they suddenly get distracted with whoever else mm-hmm. does, and then that's when, I think when you look at the percentage of their shots, that's mostly how they get it because everyone's not paying attention to them when they're moving off the ball.
1: Yeah. The other thing that's interesting, I mean, Davis is going to be the best player on the floor in this series. Uh, Portland's without Maurice Harkless. If they can get him back, that would be that would be a big boost for what they want to do defensively, um, just throwing bodies at, at Davis. Davis is going to get his, but again, you want to try to make him work. Um, they've got the big body in the middle in Nurkic, but, um, you know, he, he's not gonna be able to step out with Davis and do some of the things Davis wants to do. You've got to put quicker guys on him in different looks. So, um, that said, I mean, I think new Orleans has a shot in this one. I like Portland, but it's kind of like, I look at Milwaukee in the East with, uh, going up against Miami. Um, I mean, yeah, against my, uh, and against Boston. It's like, I don't know that they're a better team but they've got the best player on the floor and a guy who can just take over games. And, you know, Boston's a little bit different story. I think Portland's a better team than that, but right now, but Davis can make that a really interesting series. He's just so absolutely phenomenal.
0: Yeah. I, I would, uh, if I had to guess, I would take Portland in six, but yeah. I think, I think with the defining thing that will determine the outcome of the series, it's the same concept, but entirely different positions. How well does Portland take the philosophy of understanding that Anthony and, to a lesser extent, Miritich is going to get most of the production? And you obviously want to make it difficult, and to your point, there are multiple bodies, but you make sure that no one else is producing. And that's the same way with New Orleans, with Portland. Like, CJ and Damien are going to get their numbers, but how well do you prevent other guys from producing. And it's kind of the same concept that the Warriors have tried to do with mixed success against the Thunder. Like, they they realize that Russell Westbrook's going to get a lot of points, but it's been the, the priority in making sure that they're not overly helping too much because that means that Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, Stephen Adams can get even more open looks. And I think when you're looking at these specific teams of Portland – and New Orleans, where they have such distinguishable qualities. That's kind of the cat-and-mouse game and the cost-benefit analysis that you have to play uh, defensively.
1: Yeah. Speaking of Oklahoma City, I think that maybe the first most interesting series in either round is Oklahoma City and Utah. Uh, It's that really athletic, aggressive, attacking style of the Oklahoma City Thunder Going right into the teeth of the best defense in the NBA in the Utah Jazz, led by Rudy Gobert in the paint, it's kind of a strength on strength matchup. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. I'm, I probably, I'm not probably. I'm going to take Oklahoma City in this series because, despite how much I love Donovan Mitchell's game, you're asking a rookie to lead a team in the playoffs, and I just don't know if they have the scoring options as stuff starts to get taken away from them. But that said, this is a really, I mean, I don't want to say it's quite a toss-up series, but. If Utah comes out of this, I'm not shocked. I think that they can give Oklahoma City some real trouble. You can attack Carmelo Anthony if, in the second round, Utah is just going to if if Oklahoma City gets through, <laughs> Houston's going to abuse poor Carmelo Anthony. Um, but we'll see if Utah is able to do that and score enough points to to get through this.
0: Yeah, and this is why the Warriors' struggles have a little bit of a silver lining, right? The fact that they lost to Utah in the season finale reduced any chance of them playing the Jazz or the Thunder and I know that Steve Kerr, uh, playfully, like he, he understood why I was asking the question after the fact, but he still didn't want to answer it. I asked him about, you know, the the unique challenges that Utah and Oklahoma City could've presented compared to these other um first-round teams, and I think the fact that he didn't want to answer that question basically answered the question. Yeah, These teams, if there were, if there was going to be a team that it would upset the Warriors in the first round because they don't have Steph and because of how good they were, it would have been Utah and Oklahoma City, and it's for entirely different reasons because Utah's basically overachieved. Um, I mean, Donovan Mitchell is rookie of the year considerations, but everyone else, has, it's been... Just a lot of really good team play and a lot of disciplined, hard nosed defense. And then with the Thunder, you just have a lot of star power. And specifically with the Warriors because of all the dynamics in play with the chippiness that happens with the fact that you know they've met in the playoffs before. And there's this guy that Oklahoma City fans don't like named Kevin Durant because he left. And you know the Stephen Adams and Draymond situation from years. Back like the, that would have created competitive environments. But even if the Jazz don't necessarily have that context, what you're going to see here is how does that cat and mouse game prevail? Does the is the Thunder's talent so overwhelmingly better than Utah that doesn't matter how hard Utah plays, or can they tap into the fact that, frankly, the Thunder have, has been going through? a lot of issues throughout the season where they haven't really had that consistent chemistry with all those guys. Like Russell Westbrook's played really well, but there's been a lot of times Carmelo Anthony has disappeared and Paul George has disappeared. And that, again, goes back to why the Warriors defended the Thunder the way they did. But I think, you know, Utah, because of how well defensively they've been, they I think they can tap into that even more. Like maybe Donovan Mitchell has a baptism by fire playoff experience of defending Russell Westbrook, but I would imagine Utah's going to throw a lot of bodies at Russell, but they're not going to overextend themselves, and they're just going to make sure no one else gets their numbers. So I think the Thunder has the edge, but if there is kind of an upset in the first round, this would be my pick for it. I mean, that just shows how well Coached the Utah Jazz is under Quinn
1: Snyder. Yeah, the, I, Quinn Snyder's on my my coach of the year ballot. He he's been absolutely phenomenal this year, uh, keeping this team together. I mean, remember they were nine games under five hundred halfway through the season. They were five games out of the playoffs without Rudy Gobert. And a, well, first off, a lot of management's would have said it come forward at that time. Said all right, tanking. <laughs> well, that's that's it. Let let's go for the lottery pick. They didn't do that. He was able to kind of keep that team together and focused, and, you know, and obviously they went 31 and 7 to close out, and they had the 11 game win streak, and they gained all this confidence. But I really think that this is a fascinating, like the matchup here is really interesting. Um, and by the way, there is a lot of you right that the the Thunder are inconsistent this season, defensively and offensively. They, they tend to. It tends to be too much rust at times, and everybody else kind of stands around a little bit, and they don't do everything they need to do. And I, I, I think that the Jazz can exacerbate some of those problems with the way they defend. So, by the way, if 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 the Jazz pull off the upset, I know Paul George says it doesn't affect him. Does it affect him when he gets to his off-season decision?
0: Well, that's a really interesting question. Now, I can't speak on what Paul George is thinking or. Yeah and all that, and I, I have to go by what his public comments have been to national media and Thunder media of uh, he's saying the playoffs don't, aren't necessarily going to influence his decision. He likes everything about the Thunder, and he enjoys playing with the team even through the struggles, but there's a lot of sentiment around the NBA that they feel like it's a foregone conclusion yeah. that he's going to the Lakers, uh, and part of that has to do with Magic and Paul George's upbringing in L.A., and just his affection for that team growing up. But I think a lot of it has to do with the Thunder themselves, with just regardless of what any of these guys might be saying, it's been a struggle, and all those guys figuring it out. And you look at it from a bottom-line standpoint, I mean, the Thunder are in the playoffs, and you know, anything can happen, right? But they didn't really improve that much compared to last year when they didn't have Paul George. And didn't have Carmel Anthony, and said they had Victor Oladipo. Like, and you wonder, is this really going to make a difference? And so, I don't want to say, like breaking news: Paul George is going to the Lakers. But there's a lot of people around the NBA that think so.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was. That's how I've been. For in fact, I did. Um, I did a radio hit in Oklahoma. They didn't really like that answer. But I'm like, if you talk to people around the league. <laughs> I mean, I know he well, says... You,
0: you know what? Me, being a former Laker beat writer, you being in L.A., feel free to promote it. I'm sure Laker fans will eat it up and love it, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. No, but that's I've heard what you have, which is everybody around the league <laughs> kind of saying, I don't know, man. I, you know, look, he pushed so hard last year. Part of it's that, too. You know, that the, he was trying to push some teams away and saying, oh, we're going to be a Laker. And so, you know, that, that still lingers out there. We'll see. I still think it's got to f- have an impact to some degree. If you lose to Utah in the first round versus... Having a good second round and pushing Houston six games, seven games, I, it just leaves a different taste in your mouth. So we'll, we'll see if that does or doesn't influence him, or if he's he's made up his mind and he's a, uh, you know, he he's looking to buy DeAndre Jordan's crib because DeAndre Jordan's out. So we'll, we'll see.
0: <laughs> and, and here's the thing that makes Paul George's situation complicated, and I, I would say LeBron James as well. Is is it really fair for them to say the litmus test is? Uh, their future hinges on if Cleveland wins the finals or if the Thunder win the finals, like even if things are really good and they do everything right, like the Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors and the Toronto Raptors, like they might just be a much better team. Right. But does that mean that you're better off leaving that team that and going to the Lakers or any other team? Like, I don't know if you you can necessarily say that's the case. And I think that's, That's what's really going to be interesting. And again, like I can't speak on what Paul and his camp are thinking, but that's where I think when you're looking at it objectively, where the gray area comes into play of maybe it's a stretch to say, Hey, if it's a first round exit or second round exit, that's definitely going to be the only factor that decides my future. But you're wondering like, well, how did they play? How did they win or lose? Who was it against? What was the context? Because, because of how well and you know we've been going through this podcast of some of the Warriors' issues, but they've still been a really good team. They have been the number two seed, and they're still in a good position to win a title. But it's almost unfair to ask any team that, hey, unless they're matching the standards that the Warriors have set, and now the Rockets are set. I'm going to be unhappy. Like that's just not really a realistic to ask yeah, for. Exactly. If if
1: if your goal is to win a title, which is something LeBron talks about a, more directly than George, just because of the legacy issues where are you leaving to that moves you closer to that goal i does leaving russell westbrook and and stephen adams and everything they've got built in oklahoma city really move you closer going to the lakers like it it does some other stuff for you but does and i it's not to knock lonzo ball and, and ingram and the core that kind of the nice young core the lakers have but is that really closer to a title and if you're lebron and you're leaving cleveland you what are you gonna do go west (laughs) yeah that doesn't get you closer to a title so it's i think that that is a big i think it's a bigger factor for lebron but i think it factors into both of them is that look there are two really dominant teams in the league right now and i'm not sure how you get past them
0: yeah and i think when you're looking at those two guys specifically a lot of it hinges on with the lakers who else are they able to bring in yeah um but I think when if it's just one of those guys with the young team, yeah, they'll make the playoffs, but it's still a process. Like I don't think all of a sudden they're a contending team. So then it goes into, what's the level of patience? Paul George could still have a little bit more level of patience because of where he is in his career, but LeBron, I think that's a much different thing. He's yeah. more on the tail end of his career. I'm not saying he's fallen off. Like He's been playing out of his mind this season, but his shelf life and window is a lot less than Paul George, and would he have the patience to just be waiting for everything to come to full bloom? And then to what you said, like why leave the Eastern conference just to go to a Western conference that has already had a playoff mess this year where no one knew the seedings three through eight until literally the last day of the season. Hmm. Um, So, and that's where I wonder, Hey, does, does Philadelphia can you handicap them better because they're an Eastern conference team? Who knows? Like all these, different variables make it complicated and that's assuming that the winning part is the driving force of all this and not business decisions but when it comes to the winning like there's so many different layers of you know where each respective franchise is at what is the personnel but then what is what is kind of the trajectory are they in the position to win short term or is this kind of a long-term process that might yield bigger returns at that point but is it really realistic to be waiting that long? That's that's going to be the thing that I think is is so complicated and fascinating and, frankly, makes it a lot more interesting.
1: It does, it does. By the way, that Philadelphia rumor is picked up steam outs around the league some with LeBron going there, but anything you hear, LeBron's inner circle is so tight, and it's small and it's tight-lipped and they don't talk, so it's more speculation around him than anything else. So
0: Hey, but well, what about the Knicks? I mean, you see <laughs> he, right? can, he can
1: pick his own coach.
0: Yes, there you go. I, I remember, you know what, that? What, your line just made, reminded myself of the Lakers where that was one of their selling points yeah. you know, when D'Antoni stepped down. Hey, you know, these guys can pick their own coach or whatever. But that yeah. might sound enticing, but usually guys go to a team once they know who the head coach is. No, but that being said, I mean, LeBron went to Cleveland and he had no idea who David Blatt was, and that obviously didn't work out well in terms of that partnership. So who knows? Maybe... Maybe that doesn't even matter. <laughs> exactly. Well,
1: this is thank you, Mark Medina, for doing this. Is Mark Medina from the uh, Bay Area News Group who covers the Warriors? The man who's going to go up to Steve Kerr and ask him if it's true he's leaving Golden State for the uh, Orlando job. Oh, uh,
0: that's a, that's a question I got to ask him today. Hey, yeah. would you be interested?
1: <laughs> are, are you thinking of leaving Golden State for a rebuilding process in Orlando?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I already know the answer to that uh, for obvious reasons, but I know he's been on record to me saying. He wants to coach a long time. He feels healthy enough, and uh, it's on him to make sure that he's worthy of of that, you know, ideal of, you know, making sure that he continues to deliver wins. So I'd love to ask that question, and maybe I could say I covered my bases. Yeah, I never <laughs> it's know, okay. but he's I, I, actually kind of already told me. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I, think, I think you're safe in saying no, he's not. To, or, you know, if, if Jay Wright leaves Villanova, he's not going there either, so... Uh. <laughs> All right. Mark, thanks for doing it. People can catch your work online. And of course, they can find you on Twitter at?
0: Uh, Mark G underscore Medina. And I have my own podcast, the Plants oh, Dubs podcast. Yes. And, you know I do interviews with uh, some of the guys in the Warriors and analysis. So we, we have the new and archived episodes there every week for you.
1: Yeah, actually, that's a great podcast too. Thanks for, for I meant to plug that earlier and I, I suck at plugging things. So I'm glad you, you got go. to I'll that be man. a
0: shameless self promoter and do it. It's please <laughs> please do that, man.
1: I am I will see you soon. I may very well see you uh, as we get deeper into the playoffs. Uh, and it, I believe like the rest of the NBA, you know, traveling media, we're kinda of rooting for Toronto, aren't we? Just just a little, just on a personal basis. Just
0: yeah, yeah, I think so. And I know well I can't speak from this because this is frankly the first time I've covered the playoffs since twenty thirteen. I've been used to <laughs> Covering now. Actually, I take that back. I would help our Clippers writers in the first round at home games But this is my first time traveling for the playoffs since 2013 uh, But I know that there's a lot of Warriors people that are just tired of that whole Going to Cleveland and covering the Cavs and the Warriors finals like they're yep. so over that Yeah, and so I think it's safe to say yeah uh, from a selfish sports screwy sports writer perspective a lot of people hope to go to Toronto in June
1: Exactly. Hey, by the way, enjoy San Antonio, the luxury, go get a beer and some food at the luxury. It's a little yes outdoor. Sir, spot.
0: I yeah. always, you've never steered me wrong on food recommendations. No, that's, so that's, that's, well, that's
1: one of those good spots outside the down. town. Just, it's, it's a beautiful little outdoor spot on the, uh, I don't know. I assume you don't stay out by the Alamo, uh, not by the Alamo. I mean, out by the, uh, out by the actual AT&T. So
0: uh, no, no, because that's in the middle of nowhere. It's right? literally uh, in the uh, middle I'll of nowhere. I'm standing here at the Riverwalk, so a lot of places
1: yeah. Then you're not. The then you can you can walk to the luxury. It's a great spot. So go check it nice. out, man. All right, thanks everybody for listening. Help you soon. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, don't be afraid to text me for it. We'll send. I there's a couple of places, but uh, I will talk to you soon. And uh, thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with more breaking down of everything in the uh, Pro Basketball Talk podcast as we get into the playoffs.
0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming
1: devil. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com active cash.